Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Monday, October 9th. First of all, today, the words are not sufficient. Our condolences to anyone who has lost someone you knew personally in the terrorist attack on Israel or the Israeli military response. And of course, none of it's over. So we acknowledge the fear and more losses to come. How horrible that, for example, a music festival and other civilian targets were hit and there are hostages still, by all reports, and even in a justified military response, the loss of life in Gaza is also a tragedy, especially of civilians there too. So our condolences and sympathies and hopes for peace as soon as possible, as little good as it does to even say the words, but just to acknowledge everybody's pain and horror at the outset today. Among those reacting is the House Minority Leader, Hakeem Jeffries, who joins us now, the Democrat from Brooklyn and Queens, who is already scheduled to be with us today to talk about the chaos in the House of Representatives and the path forward to avoid a government shutdown by the latest deadline in the middle of next month in this country. And even the possibility, slim though it may be, it's not zero, that a coalition government could wind up with him being the next speaker in the House of Representatives. Over the weekend, Jeffries released a statement saying, quote, America stands firmly and unequivocally with Israel. We will strongly support Israel's right to defend herself from this despicable attack that targeted civilians, including Israeli children, with rockets, gunfire, and violent kidnappings. The Congress must stand with Israel until the invasion by Hamas has been crushed and security in southern Israel and throughout the country has been permanently restored, unquote, from Hakeem Jeffries, who does join us now. Leader Jeffries, always good to have you on the show, and in a different world than we thought we'd be in when we confirmed this appearance on Friday. Welcome back to WNYC. Good morning, Brian. Good to be with you, as always. Leader Jeffries, um, foreign policy is basically the domain of the executive branch. What do you see as the role of Congress? Well, it's important that Congress speak in one voice in terms of expressing, you know, our sympathy for the loss of life that has occurred in Israel, in the region, uh, the difficulty uh, that has been visited upon the people of Israel, particularly, as you've indicated, civilians targeted at a music festival, individuals slaughtered uh, throughout southern Israel and what was a clear uh, and concerted uh, terrorist attack. And I think from the congressional point of view, uh, we've always made it clear that Israel is one of our closest friends and allies throughout the world. We have a special relationship between our two countries. Um, it's 
anchored, of course, in shared values and shared strategic interests. And friends stand by friends in a moment of great turbulence, you know, trauma and turmoil. Uh, and that is what Israel is confronting right now as a result of Hamas's attack. So that's as a matter of words. Um, does the fact that there is currently no Speaker of the House matter to the U.S.'s ability to respond in any way that's concrete? Well, the administration uh, is in close coordination uh, with the Israeli government in terms of uh, trying to provide support that the administration is currently capable of doing under law. Uh, there may come a time uh, down the road, perhaps sooner rather than later, uh, where there may be an additional supplemental emergency request uh, from the administration to the Congress, as has been the case, for instance, with the Ukraine uh, and Taiwan. Uh, and that will be a request that the Congress is going to have to take up. Uh, certainly, the chaos that has been visited upon the House of Representatives uh, by the extremism of the House Republican Conference from the very beginning uh, of January through this very moment complicates things right now. It's our hope that the Republicans are going to resolve their internal issues this week uh, so we can come together in a bipartisan way and work on all of the challenges that the American people confront here in this great country and uh, that we can stand with our allies during their time of need in Israel, uh, in Taiwan, in Ukraine, uh, and throughout the world. Your statement that I quoted from was unequivocal in support of Israel at this moment when they've come under this surprise attack that has purposely gone after civilians. 700 dead is the number I'm seeing in a country of just 10 million. An Israeli official was on Morning Edition today saying as a proportion of the population, it's like 10 9-11s. But Many Palestinians say an underlying issue is still Israel's ever-tightening and lengthening occupation in the West Bank and control over Gaza, and not to condone terrorism in any way, but these as underlying conditions should also at least be addressed by people in positions like yours. What would you say to listeners who feel that way? Well, Hamas is a terrorist organization, uh, and as its despicable, inhumane, uh, and barbaric actions just uh, illustrated in terms of its attack on Israel, targeting intentionally civilians, violently kidnapping children, young people, seniors, women, and others uh, who are now being held in Gaza in horrific, horrifying conditions, you know, the, the Hamas has to be defeated. Um, that's period, full stop. Uh, and the United States needs to unequivocally and will stand with Israel in its effort to defeat Hamas uh, for the good of the people of Israel, for the good of the people, the civilians in Gaza, and for the entire region. Uh, there is no redeeming quality to Hamas. Now, in terms of the broader dynamics within the region, think it's important to understand apparently why Hamas struck at this moment uh, because there was an effort uh, that was being negotiated by the United States and Saudi Arabia to perhaps enter into some normalization with Israel 
that would have, uh, as part of the discussions, uh, resulted in taking some steps toward significantly improving the conditions of the Palestinian people and hopefully marching toward an eventual peace. Uh, And Hamas clearly wanted to disrupt that step from being taken. Now, it's my understanding, based on some of the unsecure briefings that we've had over the weekend with the National Security Council, uh, that Secretary Blinken has been in touch with President Abbas uh, in terms of the situation in the West Bank, uh, which has remained calm. Uh, Hamas has also targeted the Palestinian Authority and its leadership. And so it's a complex situation in the region, but important to understand that Hamas is a very distinct and bad actor uh, that must be decisively defeated. But has there been a flaw in the U.S. policy that you were just referring to to encourage normalization between Saudi Arabia and other Arab states and Israel in recent years under both Biden and Trump? Uh, And I hear you saying, and Secretary of State Blinken said this also on Meet the Press yesterday, uh, that one leading theory that they have is that Hamas and and also perhaps its ally uh, in Iran um, staged this attack right now to disrupt those talks with Saudi Arabia to normalize Israel uh, relations with Israel. But is it possible that... The U.S. isn't conditioning that normalization enough on resolution of the status of the Palestinians, leading to greater frustration and more ability, let's say, of a rejectionist group like Hamas to recruit supporters. It's my understanding and expectation that uh, the uh, status you know, of the Palestinian-Israeli question uh, was going to be and had been an important part of the discussions taking place involving you know, Israel, the United States, uh, and Saudi Arabia, and that everybody in the region understood that were the step to be taken toward normalization of the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Israel would be game-changing in a variety of ways, uh, but that necessarily needed to lead to an improvement uh, in the situation related to peace uh, between Israel and the Palestinian people. And so I think what was clear is that Iran, which is, of course, the largest state sponsor of terror uh, in the world, Hamas and Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, all subsidiaries uh, of Iran, and we'll have to see what the intelligence eventually shows in terms of Iran's involvement uh, in the Hamas attack. But it is clear that Iran, which views Saudi Arabia as a rival, uh, had every interest in the world to disrupt uh, any efforts toward normalization in terms of resolving uh, some of the challenges that understandably and sharply uh, have been raised in the context of the condition of people in the West Bank and the absence of you know, a robust peace 
that has existed uh, that should be the objective of everyone uh, in the world, certainly everyone in the region, and has been the stated policy of the United States of America, which I strongly support, which is the achievement of a robust two-state solution that can eventually be brought about uh, where Israel and the demilitarized Palestinian state are able to live in peace and prosperity side by side next to each other in a manner that allows for Israel's safety and security uh, to be robustly sustained and that of everyone within the region. I'm going to let Jordana in Manhattan make the segue here to topic two, because I think that's what you're calling in about, Jordana, right? You're on WNYC. Hello. Yes. Hi, Brian. Love your show. Um, so, Speaker Jeffries, I am a proud progressive Democrat. I would love nothing, nothing more for, than for you to be Speaker of the House, but that's not going to happen. So um, can you please tell me why you guys aren't actively, actively working with moderate Republicans to get one of the few sane Republicans elected Speaker of the House? Otherwise, we're going to be just cutting off our nose to spite our face and wind up with someone as horrible as Jim Jordan. Well, thank you, uh, Jordana, for, for calling in and for um, raising that very important question. You know, we've made clear from the very beginning of this Congress, starting uh, on January 3rd, that we were ready, willing, and able to find common ground with our Republican colleagues whenever and wherever possible uh, to get bipartisan things done that are going to make life better for everyday Americans. That is our objective improve the quality of life for the American people and navigating through all the challenges that the American people confront. We also made clear that we will push back against Republican extremism as it relates to reproductive freedom and in every other area, including democracy, whenever necessary. Now, in the context of what is in front of us at the moment, which is visited upon the Congress and the country because of the Republican civil war that has been raging throughout the entirety of this year, we have said uh, that the most viable path forward is to enter into a bipartisan coalition of the willing, uh, where you can have up or down votes on the floor of the House with respect to bills um, that have support from Democrats and Republicans, but up until this point have largely been blocked uh, by the extremists within the House Republican Conference. What that looks like in terms of whether you have some more traditional conservatives within the House Republican Conference being willing to enter into some form of partnership with us remains to be seen. Uh, but those conversations at different levels throughout the House are ongoing, and we will continue to make clear that we seek a bipartisan path forward. So All that needs to happen is that the extremists within the House Republican Conference are isolated and put on an island and common sense Republicans come join us. Is that to say, as the caller suggests, that you would try to offer some Democratic votes for a more moderate Republican speaker? Or is that to say you're hoping a few moderate Republicans will join all the Democrats and vote for you for speaker? Well, we don't believe that uh, change should be focused on any one individual, uh, but that 
you bring about fundamental change within the institution of the House of Representatives by changing the rules of engagement uh, that are designed right now based on the deals that were cut in the beginning of January to give the extremists on the Rules Committee and throughout the House Republican Conference the dominant voice uh, in the House. Brian, it's important to note that every single thing that has happened uh, that has been meaningful during this Congress has occurred because Democrats provided the majority of votes uh, in the House to get bills over the finish line. It was Democrats who provided a majority of the votes uh, to avoid a catastrophic default in May that would have crashed the U.S. economy and hurt so many people. It was Democrats who provided the majority of votes in the House uh, to narrowly avoid a government shutdown and make sure that we were continuing the funding of government in a way that met the needs, the health, the safety, the economic well-being needs of the American people. That's the fundamental reality of the situation in the House right now. And all we're saying is, uh, as opposed to careening from one emergency to the next, let's change the rules of the House so that we can facilitate bipartisan cooperation sure. and isolate the growing number of extremists who are within the House Republican Conference. So just to be clear, are you saying that if they change the rule to make it harder to eject a Speaker of the House from that chair, that then you would try to get some Democrats to vote for the candidate who represents that position? Well, we haven't really been able to have that conversation amongst the House Republic House Democratic uh, Caucus. Uh, and so, you know, I don't want to get out ahead of, you know, the House Democrats who've thoughtfully approached this from the very uh, beginning. What I will uh, say, however, is that we shouldn't focus on any individual. And it is the responsibility of the majority party to get to 217 votes. Uh, and they are struggling to do that or struggling to maintain that 217 being the number because there are two vacancies in the House right now. Uh, and what we need the Republicans to simply decide to do uh, is to break from the extremism that has been running rampant in the House since they all uh, came back to the floor of the House in the aftermath of the violent insurrection, and a majority of them voted to sustain the big lie and not certify the election of Joe Biden. And it's been rough sledding in the House ever since. I, I know you, I, I don't know if you've seen the article in the New Republic, um, which acknowledges that it's a long shot, but lays out how it could happen that you could be elected speaker, which is that it would take only about five Republicans voting for you, assuming all 212 Democrats do, and they lay out a few particular paths, like a few Republicans from very Biden-voting swing districts or a few Republicans who are retiring anyway and have nothing to lose if they're disgusted with the Matt Gates, Jim Jordan wing of the party. And, and I wonder, because it sounds to me like you're distancing yourself from that scenario, but is there anything that you could offer to Republicans after McCarthy failed to offer the Democrats anything for a few votes to keep him in power. Is there anything you could offer Republicans that would incentivize them to vote for you? Well, that's certainly not something that I've explored uh, or necessarily plan to explore because I think the most important 
thing. All we want at the end of the day is for the House to be able to function, for the Republicans to break away from the extremism in the chaos and dysfunction, so we can solve problems on behalf of everyday Americans. And the only way that's going to happen in this current iteration of the Congress is to do it in a bipartisan uh, fashion. Uh, And the Republicans will have the responsibility to try to figure this out in the next few days, but we are ready, willing, and able to enter into an enlightened form of government that is designed to make a difference for everyday Americans, fundamentally to put people over politics and to fight for the things that matter, right? Lowering costs, better paying jobs, safer communities, a healthy uh, economy, making sure we deal with the cost of living issues that exist all across the land, build upon the progress that President Biden has made. That's all we want at the end of the day. Uh, We can put our heads together to figure out what that looks like uh, in terms of the actual governance and leadership structure, but it should start from a place of trying to do what's right for the American people. Brooklyn Congressman and House Minority Leader, Hakeem Jeffries, we always appreciate when you come on with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Brian. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.